Hello, and welcome to another product chat, Pragmatic Institute's webinar and podcast series where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product teams. I'm Eddie Gordon, courseware designer at Pragmatic Institute, and today's host, I need to give a shout out at the top here to our Pragmatic alumni community. That's the Pragmatic Pack, we like to call it. Um, the fantastic new online community for all things Pragmatic Institute, where you will be able to find uh, perspectives from your peers, as well as resources to help you in your product journey. Fantastic resource that is exploding currently, so make sure to get in on the ground floor of that. Find out more information about the pack at pragmaticinstitute.com slash community. And with that, our guest today is a seasoned digital marketing professional with years of experience in all facets of marketing as well as extensive experience in budget forecasting, development, team management, and Google Analytics analysis. She is Credly's Senior Demand Generation Marketing Manager. That's a mouthful. <laughs> That's by day, and apparently by night, a cake-making mama of two. That's what she posts. So maybe I've changed my mind. We're going to talk about cake today, not marketing <laughs> metrics. How about that? Please welcome Patricia Diaz. Patricia, so good to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, Eddie. So you uh, are going to make us smart about all things uh, marketing metrics as pertains particularly to this post-COVID world. That's an optimistic title, and I appreciate that. A post-COVID world marketing metrics. Take it away, well. Patricia. It doesn't seem like we're going to come out of the other side of this, but I think I think we will. I think we'll make it. <laughs> uh, when Pragmatic uh, first asked me to host a webinar, this was when the world was a totally different place. So I think Sarah approached me at the beginning of the year and um, pretty much just said, talk about data. But we'll talk about it later in the year. Just we'll focus on data, but, um, you know, just whatever angle you want to go with. And then the whole world changed pretty quickly. So um, I know my demand generation strategy changed. The metrics that I was measuring changed, like literally everything. So um, I, I thought that it, I couldn't be the only one. There's no way that I was the only one who was going through this. So uh, that's how we landed on this title, Marketing Metrics That Matter in a Post-COVID World, because I don't think things will ever be normal again. It may not. Oh, I'm sorry, Patricia. I should give a, a note at the beginning here to all of our attendees. If you have questions as we go along, um, Patricia has agreed either uh, we'll, we'll jump in and, and I'll ask them or uh, we can save them to the end. But either way, post your questions in the chat and I'll keep an eye on that as we go along and toss them over to Patricia as needed. Thank there you. Go. Sorry. Go ahead. No, it's okay. So kind of what I just alluded to, uh, everything is changing. Uh, even day by day, week by week, uh, the world that we were in in January is obviously not the world that we are in right now. Um, even, you know, it is literally changing so rapidly that, you know, even the governor of Florida announced that they're moving into phase three of opening. Whereas, you know, one thing might be the norm in one part of the country or the world may be totally different in another part of the country. So we've never really seen uh, except for, you know, the financial crisis of 2008, we've never really seen the world be this um, unsettled as far as, as marketing goes. 
but that's not, it doesn't all have to be bad news, right? So um, Eddie and I were chatting before this webinar started and he had just mentioned how he was went from an office and a long commute to being a, a remote employee pretty much overnight. So he's not the only one. You have a captive audience right now, which is great. It could be, you know, could really use, be used to your advantage. So if you're not creating useful, helpful content, um, it's time to start if you have not already. Um, because everyone, like literally the entire world is going through the same thing. We have a global uh, perspective, which has helped shift business for better or for worse. And I, I don't think that we necessarily should rush back to the way that things were. I think it's really important to be human and bring some humanity back to marketing. Um, I think the perfect example of this is the enormous rise of TikTok, where you get 60 seconds of just a glimpse into somebody else's life. That's, I think, what people are craving is just humanity and kindness and sharing and helpfulness, which sounds very, you know, butterflies and rainbows and puppies, but it's true. Um, I think agile and marketing is going to be the norm going forward. I think what works today, like I just said, might not work in a week. It might not work in tomorrow. It might not work, you know, next year. I think being able to pivot and iterate really quickly is going to set uh, marketing teams up for success. And I think even when all of this is over and there's a vaccine and, you know, masks are the norm. And, you know, if you think back to 9-11, um, you know, being able to walk up to the gate was best practice, right? Like it was just normal when you were taking a flight and somebody was seeing you off, walking up to the gate was normal. And then all of a sudden it wasn't. And you weren't allowed to walk up to the gate. And now nobody questions it. Nobody bats an eyelash. I think that there are going to be some um, environmental changes that we all just agree on as a global society. And for some reason, people, I, I think marketers kind of try and um, segment that and, and, and market in an, a silo. And I just don't think that those walls need to be uh, put up anymore. So I think um, the way that the world and businesses everywhere, will, you know, they're going to have to change the way they market their products and services, just full stop. Um, when COVID began, uh, shutting down economies, basically in, the, in Q1, um, the businesses that were already creating an online presence and had a really strong SEO strategy and were concise about their social media strategies had a, a really distinct advantage over the companies that didn't prioritize those things because uh, this surge of people going online searching for data and information and connection um, really increased, obviously, because all of in-person events and face-to-face and -face consultations were taken away. So the data shows really steady and sustained growth in buyer engagement and that businesses with an online presence were already ready to capture that interest. So... What I had to personally pivot um, as far as my demand gen strategy goes, um, to give you some background, Credly is a platform that issues digital credentials, allows businesses to issue digital credentials to validate skills and learning. Um, so in get a, instead of getting a paper certificate for learning something, you get that in a, a digital version. Um, so I had this beautiful content strategy in February. It was color coordinated, it was organized, I had it planned out for the quarter, it was a dream. And then it wasn't really quickly, it, was, it became completely irrelevant because all of my content was based on um, 
having a booming economy and record low unemployment. And literally overnight, that content became tone deaf, insensitive, irrelevant. It was not helpful. It had to be completely scrapped. Um, and I knew personally how I was feeling as a marketer. Um, and I think most of the people in this audience are probably marketers. Um, and you know that marketing is usually just like an expense line item. And every organization that I've ever been in, marketing is always the first to go because they spend money. They don't make money. Um, so my anxiety was at an all-time highs. And I just could only imagine that, like, the rest of the world felt this way, too. So I was stressed and nervous. And I really could not even put myself in a headspace to even write overly salesy um I don't just like a one way communicative content. It just did not seem like it was going to land. So because of that, because I had to change what I was creating, I had to measure what I measured changed. Um, you know, I, like I had mentioned earlier, web visits took a dive in March when everybody thought like, Oh God, what are we in for? But then went back up. Um, once we realized like, okay, we're going to do this for a while. We're all doing this for a while. Um, so my webinar attendance went up, my social activity went up, and everything kind of had to be viewed through a different lens, which is why I wanted to talk about this um, at length during this webinar, because, again, I, I would be shocked if I'm the only one. So let's talk about some quick wins. If you take nothing away from this webinar other than this slide, that would be successful to me. Um, I think some quick wins are to be active on social media. Um, I, like I just mentioned about TikTok, like people are craving that human connection when they could, when they, they can't get it face to face right now. And social media by big brands or small brands, any, any organization from this point, um, has largely been a one sided conversation. And I don't think that's going to work anymore. I just, I don't. I think that being more human and more personable and making it into a conversation and making sure that you're adding value to your community is going to, I, I, be twofold, increase your brand presence and also increase your, your, either your net new leads or um, revenue. Um, I think when budgets are being slashed right now, relying on organic marketing instead of page, paid budgets is going to be really important. So again, pillar pages, SEO, um, a distribution strategy that includes social media, as long as you're uh, being helpful. Changing web, co web copy and CTAs. Um, if your CTAs on your website were just talk to sales, talk to sales, talk to sales, you might have to change that. How about something like contact us, learn more, like just something that's a little bit more human and conversational. And obviously, like I've had to do, um, update inbound content to reflect the changing business landscape. That's it. Like people are just in a totally different place than they were at the beginning of the year. Um, and that content that you had planned is probably not going to be the same. Um, I've had to create content bursts in much shorter sprints than I did at the beginning of the year. So instead of planning a content calendar three months out, I'm looking at the, till the end of the month. Like I'll, I'll maybe give it two weeks, three weeks because the news changes and data changes so, so rapidly. So here are the marketing metrics that I care about right now. And <laughs> again, if I was doing this presentation a year from now, it might be completely different. Um, but I think metrics should be measured week over week. Whereas before at the beginning of the year, I was measuring metrics 
either quarter over quarter or year over year. Um, and I think it's okay to change your content strategy. So think about what people are doing. Um, if you had a podcast and you noticed that um, listening had gone way down because people aren't commuted anymore, because you know they're not, you don't have a captive audience of of commuters for hours at a, at a time. Um, maybe considering moving those podcasts to video. So just changing your strategy um, to capture where people actually are in their day to day. Use a year over year comparative analysis to determine what's working in almost real time. So you can see from, um, you know, even if you use something as straightforward as Google Analytics, where is your traffic coming from globally? Um, is it referral traffic? Is it direct traffic? And then make content um, updates based on that. And because the world is changing, <laughs> probably said that a hundred times so far, but what keywords can you own in light of a changing economy and business landscape? There is a huge opportunity to um, model and change your content strategy based on changes, which is great. It's great for everybody. It keeps um, you know your content up to date and fresh, um, but it also gives you an opportunity to own some space at the top of Google. And again, content and promotional plans need to be fluid. <laughs> Budget changes can happen on a dime. I'm sure everybody here knows that. Um, so having a backup plan and then a backup plan is the way to go. Patricia, I've got a question popping up here from sure. Dan. You may be getting to this, but I'm going to toss it out here anyway. Uh, he agrees that absolutely we should be checking in on our metrics weekly now because things change so fast. But how often should we be assessing whether the metrics themselves should be different metrics? I'm going to get to that. You are getting to that. Dan holds horses. Good grief. <laughs> Thank you for the question, Dan, but I'm going to get to that. Um, I, I am building all of this up to talk about actual distribution channels and, what, and how those metrics are changing uh, and how they even changed from last year. So hang on one second. So let's figure out what's important, right? So start simple. Um, what matters most to your business? Has your product offering changed? Um, have your goal, company goals shifted? Um, you know, there is a global pandemic happening right now. It doesn't, that, that doesn't happen in a silo. So I'm sure that, you know, if you're personally impacted, obviously your company is as well. How has that changed and how can your marketing be helpful in light of that? So why we're here, obviously, uh, rely on data and analytics to get a better sense of your buyer's journey. And consider going on your own buyer's journey. How many clicks is it taking you to get to a conversion? How many forms do you need to submit before you talk to somebody? Is it obnoxious? Is it cumbersome? Is it, you know, is it too much or is it too simple? Go on your own buyer's journey and find out. Um, and measure what matters. Are you more concerned with a cost for acquisition um, or just acquisition in general? Do you just want new users? Are you worried about website traffic? You have to figure out what's really most important to you so you're not trying to boil the ocean because chances are you either don't have the time or the bandwidth or the support to do that. And then test, test, test again until you're sick of testing. But in this case, and I think that um, I think the one good thing that has come out of COVID is that we all have been giving each other a little bit of grace where there wasn't before, especially with marketing teams. So I think it's okay to fail, but rely on experts if you don't know the answer, and it's okay to say that you don't know something. So let let's go into actual tactics. Um, 
as far as marketing goes. So I started this presentation by saying you have a captive audience. So use that to increase your content engagement. Um, the top of the funnel content is shares, likes, comments, retweets, mentions, and website traffic. Um, you have a ton of control over that right now because uh, people are consuming at such a breakneck speed. Um, you know, social media use is through the roof right now. Um, so measure how big you want your top of the funnel to be. I think the possibilities are endless. Um, the middle of the funnel content engagement can include form submissions, view video views, newsletter subscriptions, anything where people take the extra step um, except for just consuming your content. Um, and then creating content based on persona and knowing your target audience are really essential. And that goes back to going through your own buyer's journey and seeing um, what questions you can actually solve. So let's talk distribution channels, email marketing. Email send is through the roof since COVID started. Email is like the OG of marketing, right? Like it is the workhorse that everybody kind of dismissed, but consistently um, I think breaks records. So um, the metric before COVID I think was that was pretty um, common was either open rates or click-through rates. And according to HubSpot, the marketers, uh, marketers in general from B2B and B2C saw, sent 21% more emails during Q2 than they did in Q1 of 2020. And I can almost guarantee that everybody in this audience got one of those, um, we're here for you, we're with you, a note from our CEO about COVID. Uh, I, I think that everybody got them from every subscription you've ever subscribed to in your whole life. Um, so some of them were helpful and some of them were not. But open rates are up, um, regardless of uh, what the intent of the sender was. Um, over 18% year-over-year increase in open rates. Um, and HubSpot found that sending fewer emails actually resulted in more opens. So the organizations that didn't spam people um, with every thought about the changing landscape actually did better. And HubSpot also found that subject lines really make a difference. Um, HR organizations, for example, are seeing a decrease in open rates, um, but organizations that are B2C um, and consumer brand driven saw an increase. Um, so open rates have actually risen faster than volume has grown, which is great for marketers. Um, the, the teams have been successful at providing relevant and helpful content usually do the best. So in the last 30 days alone, um, inbox activity has risen 22% since January. B2B open rates have increased 16% since January. B2C open rates have increased 25% since January. And newsletter open rates are up 19% since January. So across the board, people are consuming way more emails than they did last year. Let's talk about website traffic. Um, that's certainly a metric that I measure pretty frequently. Um, buyers are moving, obviously, towards researching online purely out of necessity. Um, you know, for a while, people couldn't even go to a store and try on clothes. So um, whether it's B2B or B2C, there are no trade shows. There are no events. Um, everything is moved online. So doing research during the buying process online um, has increased web traffic across the board. Globally, site traffic has increased by 16% during Q2 compared to Q1. 
Um, and again, that goes back to not having a commute or having more time in your day to browse the internet. I think people are, um, I don't have data about this, but I would assume that people are looking for um, just information about COVID and how it's impacting their schools and their work and their lives. And as an offshoot of that are spending just more time online. So um, in this case, uh, in the U.S., at least, industry matters. Construction and BI tools are seeing increases in traffic and form submissions. And obviously, travel companies are not. Travel companies have taken a hit this year. People aren't booking flights. They're not booking cruises. They're not booking vacations. So traffic on those sites has decreased. But globally, year-over-year um, -year traffic is flat. Um, the United States is uh, definitely a different use case than the rest of the world. And there is an increased emphasis on SEO and organic and referral traffic because paid spend is down across the board. Um, I didn't put a bullet point in here about mobile data traffic, but mobile traffic surged 380% in March alone, which obviously consumers are taking their smartphones everywhere. Um, so mobile has uh, certainly seen um, a huge surgeons, which means that um, organizations are, should certainly take a look at their mobile experience, um, whether it be form submissions or uh, cart process. Um, but global site traffic um, is a little bit different than the United States, and traffic started increasing the week of March 9th. So in the United States, pretty much as soon as the U.S. shut down, global site traffic went up. Um, and that is, it peaked the week of April 20th. April 20th, um, it went up about 24% year over year, um, which is way above the benchmark of 2019. Um, the metric then settled into the 15 to 20% range in May and June, um, and currently sits about 20% of the pre-COVID benchmark. So I would imagine, um, even though Q4 is typically slow as far as conversions go, that that trend will continue through the end of the year. Webinars and online events. Let's talk about that for a minute because webinars are my favorite. Not, not necessarily being on the other side of it, but producing them for sure. Um, there is oversaturation of online events. Everybody had to move online every, out of necessity. So all of those, I'm sure you all got a million of those emails saying that, um, you know, we are canceling our event, but please join us for this four-day online immersive event. Um, so, yeah, not <laughs> marketers are, are scrambling to try and make that change from in-person to online. Um, and I, it's actually working really well um, kind of across the board. Um, according to On24, um, they did a 2020 web ben webinar benchmark report. Um, and they have found that webinars grew, webinar attendance grew about 36% this year compared to 2019. So there are a couple of metrics to measure when you're hosting a webinar. Um, midweek is no longer the best time to host a webinar. So um, the old data usually said Wednesdays and Thursdays, midday was the best time to host a webinar, Eastern time. But now that you have a global audience and everybody's hosting a webinar at the same time, and nobody's commuting anymore, you have a little bit more freedom to host webinars that work for in different audiences. Um, back to that on 24 2020 webinar benchmarks report, 8 a.m. and 9 
a.m. accounted for over 10% of a, the webinar's events that day. So um, it, you're probably gotten a couple of invitations for some random times, but I think people uh, globally are just testing what works for their organization. So remember those metrics about email open rates? Webinar promo email, emails are a great way to increase attendance because everybody is reading and opening their emails right now. Um, and like I just said, according to On24, the best time to start a webinar is earlier in the day since people are less likely to be commuting at that time or busier with other meetings. Webinars that were at least 30 minutes but no longer than one hour had the best engagement. So maybe we should end this webinar at 45 minutes. And see if that's true. You, I'm checking the <laughs> clock. We're doing just fine. Thanks, Patricia. <laughs> Um, I'm going to move on to social media engagement because social media, um, a third of the world is active on social media. And um, through all age groups, it usage has skyrocketed. Um, the Harris Poll conducted a survey between late March and early May, and they found that between 46% and 51% of U.S. adults were using social media um, significantly more than they were before the outbreak. Um, in the most recent May survey, 51% of total respondents, um, so about 60% of those ages 18 to 34, 64% of those ages 35 to 49, and 34% of those ages 65 and up reported increasing um, increased usage on social, me social media platforms. Um, in July of 2020, saw a rise of 10.5% in social media usage compared to July of 2019. So, again, it is... <laughs> through the roof. So if you do not have a social media strategy, now is the time to create one. Um, not all social sites garner the same engagement. Obviously, as job loss increases um, in the United States, so does traffic to LinkedIn. Um, but as Facebook has seen a 27% increase in traffic between January and March, it might not be the best place to post um, uh maybe like quarterly earnings reports is um, you know, being mindful of what you're posting on social is certainly important for brands right now. And social media use is the second most in-demand internet activity, second only to streaming platforms. So I think this goes without saying, obviously Netflix is having a great year. Hulu is having a great year, um, but social media is also having a great time right now. And different dem dem demographics have different uses for social media. Um, Research by Kantar found that most people want to suspend reality um, when seeing ads specifically, but they find advertising a useful escape from the stresses of the coronavirus. 38% um, of adults in the United States said they found humor to be inappropriate in advertising right now. So if you are creating a social media strategy from scratch, from the ground up, um, it's very important to consider your audience and do a little bit of research about who you're speaking to before you start creating content that gets distributed on social media. Podcasts. I talked about this a little bit earlier, um, but listening and subscriptions plummeted in March when commutes stopped pretty abruptly. Um, total unique listeners fell about 20% between mid-March and early April. Um, eMarketer predicts that podcast listening is going to increase actually substantially in Q4 of 2021 um, as more people work from home and don't have the office chatter. Um, they're assuming that um, the podcast will replace that background noise. 
Um, the shows that are having the most success range really wildly. There is no one size fits all as far as far as podcasting goes. So from news to lifestyle, pretty much everybody is seeing an increase um, now that we have a little bit of, um, I hate to say normalcy, but at least a little bit of a cadence in our day-to-day lives. And podcast advertising is huge, is, is set to see a huge boom this year. Um, it's big business. It's increased 10% in 2020 to a total of $782 million spent on podcast advertising. And that number is said to increase to $1.1 billion in 2021. So if you are a B2C brand, do not sleep on podcast advertising. You heard it here first. Um, on a monthly basis, PodTrack data shows that the top 10 um, podcast publishers in the U.S., Downloads have grown about 6.5% um, in June compared to last June of 2019. Um, and globally, there's about 800 million podcast downloads um, compared to about 600 billion last year. So services like Spotify um, and Apple Podcasts, um, of course, are, are great ways to distribute your podcast. Um, year to date, podcast downloads have grown about 21%. So um, obviously, nobody knows what's going to happen in 2021, but I imagine that number is going to just going up. Um, there are about 131 million active podcast listeners in the United States alone. So it's a huge opportunity to um, distribute your content and make sure that um, you're offering something helpful to your audience. So lastly, I want to talk a little bit about encouraging audience activity. Um, encouraging audience creativity, excuse me. It kind of goes back to why TikTok is so popular. People are very bored. <laughs> People are bored. <laughs> I think when you're not doing your job, um, you know, if you're working from home or you're unemployed or you're searching for new employment, you just have a way more time in your day than you did before. So how can you get your audience involved in your marketing campaigns? Um, in my case, um, people who are earning digital credentials are have a great story to tell. So I'd love pulling in badge earners to help in our marketing content. So I think the universal plight right now is that isolation is profound. So creating marketing campaigns that connect communities are doing the best. Again, I hate to keep bringing this up, but look why TikTok is so, so successful. People from all over the world have the opportunity to connect on a really human personal level. And because of that, their advertising has gone through the roof. Their daily Average users have gone through the roof, um, and I think people are really hungry for that kind of connection. Um, tact, in a tactful kind of way, um, using unique hashtags to follow along with branded conversations is really helpful for both the end user as well as the marketer um, because it allows you to both own that conversation as well as contribute to it. Um, in a study by Lightrix, more than 90% of participants that they polled um, who consisted of social media creators, said that they're using creativity to combat boredom. So kind of the accidental viralness of uh, content right now is really because people have nothing else to do. They have nowhere to go. They can't leave their home. <laughs> so I think the same um, kind of grassroots organic content can certainly be translated into big brands. They also found that during lockdown, Americans spent 90% more time using apps to create and edit visuals than they ever did before the pandemic. Um, with the number of visual assets created and shared, 
hugely, largely spiking in April, and it pretty much has not gone down. It just has gone up and stayed uh, stayed up. Um, Lightrix also found that 46% of content creators say their lockdown content has more, been more inspiring than normal, and 48% said it's been more colorful. So two takeaways for, for brands and organizations to take away, be helpful, be colorful, um, and be unique. And here's how to connect with me. If you're curious about what kind of content I'm creating in a post-COVID world, um, head over to the Crudley blog. Uh, it has changed pretty dramatically from the content that I was creating last year. Um, and feel free to email me with any questions. Patricia, I don't know if it was everybody but or just me on my screen, but I've got a toolbar right over the beginning of your email address on that previous slide. Will you read that to us? What does that say? Sure. It's pdiaz at credly.com. P. Diaz, right? P is in Paul yep. Diaz at credly.com. There you go. So if I forget to mention it later, if you need to get in touch with any questions for Patricia, P. Diaz at credly.com. Awesome. Well, we've got a few questions that rolled in as you were presenting. Are you up for a few of them, Patricia? Let's do it. Let's do it. Here is one from Ashley who asks, how often do you suggest running a PESTLE, P-E-S-T-L-E, PESTLE industry analysis in this current climate? For, are you familiar with the PESTLE? So, so I had heard it, but I couldn't remember what the uh, acronym stood for, so I looked it up to be very helpful. That's the one, uh, let's see, that's uh, politics, oh, come on, I had it, I had it, I had it, and I lost it. That was uh, politics, um, there was a industry, I'm totally slaughtering poor Ashley's question, but <laughs> there, are, there are various types of industry analysis, I know there's the PESL one, there's, uh, there's one where you just uh, sort of are uh, looking at the departments themselves from a greater point of view, is what we're talking about today related to those methodical analyses, or should we be doing those analyses more frequently than we had been doing them in the past? That oh. is a very good question. Um, I and Ashley, oh, Ashley posted it. Are you ready? Thank you, Annette, Ashley, for getting me off the hook here. Political, economical, sociological, technology, legal, and environmental. Those are the parts of that specific analysis, but of course there are there are many uh, related types as well. So. Right. I think it completely depends on what industry you're in. If you are in a political, economical, sociological, or technology, or legal, or environmental landscape, um, the metrics that you're measuring are totally different than um, a consumer brand, for example. I think that it's really important to continue to measure those, um, probably, at a more aggressive rate than you were last year, only because all of those things um, change so dramatically. So it's difficult to say, like, you know, just do it once a year and you're fine, because I don't think that that's accurate right now. Yeah. Good question just popped up from Jody, and it's related to uh, another one here. I'm going to throw you Jody's first. Jody says, how have social issues like BLM impacted these numbers? Um, do we need to be conscious of such greater movements like that in our communications? That is a, oh, that is an amazing question. Yes, they have absolutely impacted social use um, because people are literally and figuratively taking to the streets to uh, express their viewpoints um, in, in matters that 
impact all of us. Brands that actually have an excuse to talk about those things do really well on social media and through web traffic. Um, you might have seen the Ben and Jerry's um, statement that they put out uh, as far as Black Lives Matter go. I work for a tech company that has uh, no, um, how do I say this um, the, diplomatically? So if I were to abruptly stop my content and make a statement about Black Lives Matter or any other pressing social issue, it might come off as tone deaf. It would be a great grab to drive traffic to my website and my social media platforms, but at what expense, right? So um, I think maybe using um, those to just drive traffic is not the right motivation. So if it makes sense right. for your business, of course, make a statement, um, incorporate it into your content strategy, but do so mindfully so it's not tone deaf. Sure. People are very quick to be able to spot whether you're being genuine or not, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then a related question, and, and this is all sort of revolving around this idea of the tone of our communications. But Julie was asking about uh, the percentage of humor. Was it was it 38 uh, percent increase in the amount of uh, humor? Or no, That's sorry, right. it was 38. Found humor to be inappropriate in ads right now. It was 38 percent. Is that true? That's correct. Uh, right. but, but Julie asked, how does that percentage compare to pre-pandemic times? Is it much higher than it was before that people are disapproving of, of humor now? Actually, that wasn't even a metric pre-COVID. Um, oh. it, wasn't, it wasn't measured. Um, Kantar actually only, and I'll, I'll drop this link in the chat, but Kantar only put out that research recently because of this year, um, you know, in a Two, over 200,000 Americans have died from COVID. So making jokes or light of that, you know, the horror that every American has gone through this year is not appropriate. Um, but last year, I mean, it's been a crazy couple of years, but last year there really wasn't a, um, it, there wasn't any major event that would make people pause and think, can I be funny or not? Whereas this year, obviously there was. Um, the last time there was this, you know, kind of major upheaval in 2008 and then, you know, 2001 going back, um, these social media didn't exist in the same way and, and, um, brand activity on social media certainly didn't exist in the same way. So that there is no year over year comparison, um, for that data specifically, but that's 38% of respondents. Um, and is the recommendation to avoid specifically pandemic-related humor, or is this applying to humor uh, of all types during our communications now? Of all types. So oh, wow. Imagine, okay. Yeah. So imagine scrolling through the New York Times. You open Facebook. You open a an article in the New York Times, and you're scrolling through, but you see an ad through your New York Times article, and it's a joke. Like, but you're reading an article about, you know, 30 million Americans being unemployed, but your ad happens to pop up being funny. How do you think that would land? Hmm. Probably not that well. So across the board, Americans just like, I, I, I don't know, I would assume like just want to wallow in their self-pity, which is fine. But um, <laughs> if, if, if your brand actually lends itself to being friendly and, and positive, um, going back to Ben and Jerry's, they do a really great job of this, then be authentic to who you are. That's fine. Nobody's saying like, you know, be morose or, you know, negative. Just don't be jokey. <laughs> I don't know if yeah, that's, a word. That's, that's, a, uh, that's a good way to characterize the, the tone. Friendly, positive, 
helpful human, but, but uh, human. There you go. Excellent. Um, here is another question that popped up from Daniel. Daniel asked, do you recommend microblogging through IG versus long format blogging? Is shorter and easier to digest helpful content ideal in this current environment? So short- 1,000% yes. Ah, okay. Yes. Um, I didn't. I didn't put a slide in here, but um, there is a lot of data, especially this year, about global attention spans plummeting. People are cannot focus on one thing at a time, um, and that's partially due to our our environment, right? So I personally am working from home. I have two children here right now. Um, you know, there's like a million things happening. So focusing on one thing for longer than thirty seconds is is probably not going to happen. Um, I hope my boss is not in attendance right now. Um, <laughs> but that, that the same sentiment applies to social media as well. Um, the, the, I love the idea of microblogging. So Twitter just uh, kind of did away with their tweet limits. Um, LinkedIn has a really great content feature where you can unleash your thoughts. They just actually yesterday, um, uh, LinkedIn just announced the, the live videos uh, by kind of ripping off TikTok and um, Instagram came out with the reels this year. So people are certainly looking forward um, to shorter digestible content that they can consume at scale. And that is why it's, you know brands are welcome and um, encouraged to create content that people um, can digest on their time. I'm glad you mentioned bosses because I wanted to ask you about uh, the executive teams. Um, it's possible that they may just be digging in and asking for the same metrics that they've always been getting. But if you had the opportunity to introduce a new metric that is more relevant for these times, what, what do you think you would present to them? What's the, what's the, the, the big surprise? Hey, look at this. This is a brand new toy to play with. Yeah. Um, I don't think there is actually a new toy to play with, but uh, as far as 2019 goes, my my number one metric for success was net new leads. How many um, new contacts came into our CRM? That that is like the number that I lived and died by. Okay. And now it's not. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. The lead number is nice. It really, it's you know, it's it's, it's but I think the lead number has gone the way of vanity metrics. I think now, um, especially now when budgets are tight across the board, um, the number one metric that I I really live by is how much I've contributed to revenue. So um, the closed one opportunities from marketing sources has really given me a really great focus on what tactics work the best to bring in that revenue. We have a, a pretty reasonable sales cycle. I don't think, you know, it's pretty common as far as technology SaaS businesses go, but um, you know, if, if I wrote a blog in January and it just resulted in a closed one opportunity in September, well, that's not that great. Like, you know, so I'm I'm really focused on the content that is resulting in close one opportunities. Fantastic. Well, Patricia, as you just counseled us, we need to keep these things under an hour, right? And we're, <laughs> yeah. we're at 45, which is perfect, right on the dot. But I, I, I love to ask all of our presenters one last question. And so I'm going to toss it over to you now. The question we like to ask is, if you were to have our audience do only two things differently based on what we've talked about today, what would those two things be? Okay. One, 
audit your social media channels. If you are just ramming content down your followers' throats, that is not helpful or humid. So take a couple minutes, um, see what kind of content you're sharing in the last month or so. Um, you don't have to go back all the way to the beginning of the year, but take the last 30 days, a snapshot. Are you openly engaging in conversation with your social media followers? Are you creating graphics um, that are colorful and helpful and uh, happy and upbeat? Or are you just um, using it as a distribution channel and there is no uh, encouragement, you're not encouraging any conversation? That's number one. Number two, I would definitely look at your email sends. Our nurturing content has been completely upheaval, like totally changed um, since the beginning of this year for the better. So um, we took a really hard look at our email sends. So between newsletters and email nurturing, um, and that content specifically, we've had to completely change that language and completely change the audience that it goes to. So look at your social media following and definitely look at your email um, because if it is just a set it and forget it, chances are it's not working for your business. Fantastic. Patricia, this has been wonderful. Thank you. So many Thank you. juicy little nuggets that we can just put into action right away. That is what we like to hear. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. I need to give uh, a heads up for the next of the product chat series. That's going to happen Tuesday, October 13th, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And we will be welcoming our very own Paul Young, Pragmatic Institute instructor and Product Development Days presenter. He will be exploring how to build a product team that truly partners with your sales team. So don't miss that. And of course, if you can't wait that long, join us every Friday at 1.30 p.m. for office hours with a Pragmatic Institute instructor on Zoom. Find more information about that on our pragmaticinstitute.com website under events. Don't miss that. But thank you so much to Patricia. Thank you to our audience for such great questions. It has been wonderful. And everyone stay healthy out there, stay safe, and we will see you again next time. 